listen to these verses from Psalm 71. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Uh, you know, just thinking about how amazing it is that we can continually come to God. Uh, it's, it's something that we need every single day. We need him to be our rock and our fortress. And so, again, as we come here this morning, we're reminded of, of our need for him and the great, great fortress and shelter that he is for us. the kids are dismissed for Sunday school. If you are part of the Generation Jesus group, you know who you are. Make sure to follow Anne as she heads upstairs for some practice time. Also, I, I want to call uh, Anne Marie. Let's see. Yeah, come on up and grab this mic, and she's going to share a quick uh, announcement for us about an event coming up at the end of the month. All right, good morning. In case you haven't already seen, we are going to have a fall festival hosted by the Moms Together group. There are two purposes for this fall festival. One is to provide a wholesome and fun alternative to some of the other festivities during this time of year where you and your kids, your grandkids can come and celebrate together. It's for all ages from zero to 110 or however old our oldest member of the congregation is. Um, that's one purpose. The second purpose is we want this to be a community outreach where we can bring people that aren't part of the church to come with their kids. But here's the thing, we need your help. Um, this is hosted by the Moms Together group, but that doesn't mean that we can do it all by ourselves because there's only a few of us. So we need two things from everyone here if you're coming. First of all, we need food and a lot of it. We need, we're doing a chili cook-off. Um, we're gonna have a whole bunch of fall baked goods like pies, apple cobbler, apple crisp, pumpkin pie, you name it. So we need food, so if you're gonna come, please bring something to eat. And it'd be great if you could sign up so we get a feel for how many food items we have. The second thing we need is we need volunteers who are willing to, to take like a one or two hour shift during the event. You don't have to spend the whole event volunteering, just like one or two hours at a time um, to help um, observe some of the activities. And some of these are gonna be very, very simple activities. You don't have to have a special amount of training to be involved. We just need a, a bunch of willing and able people who can help um, watch some of the little kids do things. But like I say, it's for all ages. Um, so whether you're 10 or whether you're 90, please come, please bring your family and 
please sign up to help. We've got a sign-up sheet out there, and we would love all of you to participate. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. I know, you know, we have a lot of really good cooks and bakers in this church, so I feel like we can rise to the challenge. And, you know, if you say there's going to be food, usually people will come. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks for organizing that, putting that out. Uh, I think with that, Steve, come on up. Thanks, Anne-Marie, and everybody who's taken part of that. Please do um, take it to heart and check out the sign-up sheet and get involved. Uh, it's a new opportunity for us. I just want to start by saying thanks to our uh, workers. There's been some busy bees around the church here the last couple days, so you know who you are. I'm not going to uh, kind of steal your, your gift of uh, generosity and your gift of service, uh, but thanks. Uh, it, it is noticed, and uh, m as usual, most of the things that they have done would not be noticed, but if they weren't done, they would be noticed. So that's kind of the way uh, that kind of service goes. I'd like you to join me, if you would, as we uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning on this uh, beautiful fall day, grateful uh, for a God who is our, our firm foundation and a rock upon which we stand. We thank you for the, the cross work of Christ and uh, what it means to those who have put their faith or the trust in you and what it can mean to those who haven't. I pray uh, that you would work powerfully, Father, you'd continue to work in the situation uh, that we've been dealing with in Liberia. I ask that you'd continue to work to bring truth and justice to that situation. We pray that you would bring physical and emotional healing Lord, to Lois and to Jessica, we ask for wisdom for us as leaders and as a church as we make uh, a, a deal with and as we respond to the situation, as we continue to work and, and seek to improve our relationship with our, our missionaries, we ask that you would work powerfully to guide and direct and encourage and bring uh, a, a spirit of unity and a bond of peace among us as, as believers, not just in our church, but Father, in the larger church and the body of Christ, Lord. I ask that you'd also work powerfully in the whole situation now that has uh, erupted in the Middle East. We pray uh, for you to bring your peace and your strength uh, to the, the people there. We ask that you would hold back the forces of evil, and we pray that you would work to bring a peaceful resolution to the conflict that's there. We ask now you'd open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been working on a flagstone patio project for about two years in my backyard, and I thought I was done, but I uh, noticed some stuff, and so I called my good friend who's a landscape architect, and there was part of the sealant between the stones that I was concerned about, and I asked him, I said, what should I do? Should I rip this all out in, uh, you know, just a short section, but it was going to be uh, just something I just didn't want to do it because I, 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 you know, I'm up to here with the, the project. And so I called him and I said, what should I do? I got this or this. And he goes, just leave it. I mean, I, I just can't tell you how the, 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 the rest that came to my soul uh, was tremendous. But the rest that came to my soul because of a, a project that was completed pales in comparison to the riches 
of the pardon and the peace and the purpose and the power to live and the possession of eternal life that is available through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's amazing. And the, the, the Christ-centered gospel is introduced in Romans chapter 1. And in fact, it is the essence of the, the book, is the, the Christ-centered gospel. And it is the only remedy, it's the only remedy for the, the world that's in rebellion. And uh, it is, uh, is Paul's focus in the book of Romans, which we're going to start today. Uh, maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't, but that's the, the study that we're starting in the, in the book of Romans is today. I want to give you just an overview, kind of a, a flyover, a 30,000-foot overview of the major sections in the book of Romans. And so we have a slide. I don't know if you're going to be able to see all that up there, but uh, if we have... No, that's not it. Uh, ah, okay, it probably does. Yeah, Okay. Okay, you can't see that probably, right? Okay, that's fine. I'll just read it for you, okay? The, the priority of the gospel is verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Then the pressing need for the gospel is chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. And what I'll do uh, for you, if you want to, we'll print out a few copies of this. If you want to keep it, you can. Again, this is not unique or new to me, probably. Uh, but then uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through chapter 4, verse 25 is the provision of the gospel, what the gospel provides for us, Okay. Next slide. He's working on it. Got it. The prophet of the gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through chapter 8, verse 39. The, the, the people of the gospel, chapter 9, verse 1 through chapter 11, verse 36. The practice of the gospel, how we should live as gospel people, chapter 12, verse 1 verse, through chapter 15, verse 13. And I'll just stop there because... Paul, in keeping with his way he writes his letters, does the same thing in Romans. He gives this whole section to talk about our identity in Christ, and then he takes a major section of his letters and talks about how we should live as those who are identified in Christ. So chapter, nine, or chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11 is Paul's like, okay, this is who you are. And then he begins in chapter 12 and says, okay, so now here's how you're supposed to live. All right, the last one there, the last section is the, the perpetuation of the gospel in chapter 15, verses four, uh, verse 14 through chapter 16, verse 21. So that's kind of the major breakdowns of the, of the sections in the, in the book of Romans. And so here's the deal. Paul was in Corinth, and he was planning uh, to make his way to Jerusalem because he was bringing a, a contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. And then he was hoping to travel after he left Jerusalem all the way to Spain and he would stop at Rome on the way to Spain and so he wrote to the the church in the church in Rome and when I say the church in Rome there were maybe a lot of different house churches but the church is the believers in Rome okay so he wrote to the believers in Rome and what he was doing the reason he did this he was going to stop along the way and then then there was he also realized that there was this tension between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in the Church of Rome. And so that was kind of the occasion. He was going, number one, he wrote to ask them to pray. Okay? He solicited their prayers. And he prayed for his safety as he traveled, but he also wanted them to pray for the 
the contribution that it would be received well because the contribution to the Jewish predominantly Christians in, in uh, Jerusalem was coming from predominantly Gentile Christians in Achaia and Macedonia. So he was bringing it there. Secondly, Paul sought their support. Whose support? The Roman Christian support. For his ministry in Spain. He was going to go to Spain and so he was asking for their support. He wanted to stop along the way and be encouraged and built up in in his faith. He also wanted to impart to them some spiritual gift. He wanted them to provide for him financially. He wanted them to be his support base for his ministry in Spain. And then finally, he wrote the this book to set the stage for his arrival in Rome, okay? And so here he did, he, he, he never, he'd never met him before. So he's like, he's writing to these people he's never met before, and he wrote to establish his authority. Why should they listen to him? Why should they support him? Why should they even entertain him along, along, along the way? And he wrote to educate them on the gospel, and on the essence of Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, and then how you're supposed to live as a Christian. And then finally, he wrote to eliminate any disunity that there might be among the believers, all the time weaving the truth of the gospel throughout the book. And I want you to see, you may not be able to see this either, but there's a, I put together this contrast and this comparison that kind of bookends the, the, the whole thing. Okay, so we start in chapter 1 and verses 1 through 7. And uh, verses 1 through 7 we see is a parallel. And if you want to just write this down, and I, you can't see that, I guess, and that's my bad. So we'll, I'll, I'll get it printed off or we'll have it next week so it's large enough for you to see. All you need to know is chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, basically are parallel. They, they contain the same stuff. So there's a, there's a bookend here and a bookend here of a Christ-centered gospel. A Christ-centered gospel that's rooted in the prophets that is to produce the obedience of faith throughout the whole world. And that's from beginning to end, that's it. And so all throughout, that's where he's moving us. This Christ-centered gospel that... that weaves it in so we start in chapter one with verses one through seven and in these verses provide us with three reasons for acceptance of and adherence to this christ-centered gospel as the only solution for the dysfunction of our world and the damnation of our souls it's the only solution we read about all the horrible things you see the horrible things that are happening in the middle east You wake up each morning and you uh, get the news and you're going, oh, it's crazy out there. People hurting each other. A moral revolution, supposedly, that's undermining the Christian truths. People living in disorder and disarray and confusion and anger and frustration. And Paul says, here's the answer. Here's the answer. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have a phone or a device or you want to reach under the seat in front of you, I'm going to read the first seven verses of the gospel of, or the, the epistle to the Romans. Not the gospel, the epistle to the Romans. And I'm going to read it, and uh, you're going to see if you have the ESV or whatever, it's different. I'm reading from the New American Standard, so that's the version I have. And there are differences, and you'll see them as we tease it out and we walk along the way. 
and hopefully I'll try to explain the, the major reasons for my understanding. If you have the ESV or the NASB uh, or the NIV, there, there are different ways it's presented, but they all are viable understandings. It's just they tease out different uh, ways of, of approaching the text. First, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay. So first, the first reason for acceptance of and adherence to the gospel the Christ-centered gospel, is that we respect Christ's servant in the gospel. See, Paul highlights three facts that establish his authority. He was writing again to a people who he had never met. And so if I'm writing to you or speaking to you and you've never met, and you say, well, so who's this dude? What, I mean, why, why should I listen to him? What reason would I have for even accepting it? First of all, he says he's a slave of Christ. Of Christ. Paul... Now, who's Paul? Formerly Saul. Formerly Saul, a Roman citizen and a well-pedigreed religious person, okay, and a religious zealot. He tells us himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 of his pedigree, you know, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, you know, he was trained under Gamaliel, he had all the credentials, but he was a zealot and he had been on a mission to purge the scourge of this messianic teaching about the person of Jesus. He was on a mission to get rid of the teaching and eliminate its adherence. That's what his mission was. Now, he had been changed, okay? And he, he tells us here he had become a slave of this Christ Jesus whom he had persecuted. Now, slaves were not very well looked upon in that day, okay? You say, oh, you're a slave, okay? So they were, there was an abhorrence for slaves. But for a believer in Christ to say they are a slave of Christ was a badge of honor. He was a slave of Christ. It was a slave. A slave doesn't ask questions. A slave does what the master says. He says, I'm a slave of the master, and the master is Christ Jesus. Notice how he begins. Christ Jesus. Again, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, uh, Mashiach, which means anointed one. So he says he is a slave of the anointed one, stressing that his submission to and his recognition of Jesus as Israel's long-awaited Messiah who would rule and rescue his people. So he submitted to Christ, the Messiah, who is Jesus, the person Jesus. That's who I'm a slave of, he says. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. He had gone from hostile skeptic 
to a humble servant of Christ. That's a big admission. And it makes me think of this uh, a friend of mine who was teaching in a, a mission training school. And one of the students in the mission training school was an ex, uh, like, not mafia, but that sort of a, like a high crime, organized crime family. He had been high up in the organized crime, and now he was in a mission training school to take the gospel somewhere and share the gospel of Christ with people. He had been transformed by the power of the gospel. And Paul says, that's me. He was a, I'm a slave of Christ. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we just sang some songs about, you know, him being the one that we, we he's our rock, he's our bedrock, we commit ourselves, he's the firm foundation upon, is he really? He's a slave. Am I a slave of Christ? He says, jump, and I say, how high? He says, go, and I say, when? He tells me where, and I say, fine. <laughs> a slave of Christ. He says he's called as an apostle. Called means summoned, okay, by God. Uh, to serve the Lord as an apostle, not by self-appointment. He's, he's trying to establish, I'm not here by, and I'm not writing to you because I decided it was a good idea, and you should listen to me because I have a lot of followers on Instagram, you know. Or because I have a YouTube channel with, you know, this many hits and people are following me and I'm making a lot of money. I'm a, I'm a social media influencer. What is that? Like, you're a self-absorbed person. He says, this is not by self-appointment, but by divine choosing. On the road to Damascus, he was chosen by God. And Christ met him there and says, what you're doing to these believers, you are doing to me. Stop it. And he says he was called. Paul, Paul's transformation from executor to evangelist was the greatest evidence that he was a slave of Christ. I want you to see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, what, what Paul says about himself. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me, putting me into service even though I was previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. And he goes on to say, of all the people who were sinners, I am the chief of sinners. But God called me to be on the team. <laughs> you know, I'm on his team now. And so he brought me into this family. Now, what is an apostle? An apostle is a sent one. Okay, that's literally the, the translation, a sent one. But he's not just like any sent one. He had seen the risen Christ. He had gained this particular office that, you know, up until that time it had been people who had hung around with Jesus, you know, the 12. But now he had actually seen the risen Christ in, on, on the road to Damascus. And he'd received the commission directly from Christ. He tells us that in Galatians 1.1. And he was sent by and spoke with the authority of Christ. So he's, he's saying, look, I'm a slave of Christ, and I've been called as an apostle, so I'm not here by self-appointment. I'm doing what God has called me to do, so what I say is what God is saying I should say. 
And so when I speak, when I write, I write what God wants, and then you should listen not to me, but to God. And so he's trying to let them know. Uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't flown since I, I went with Brother Anand in March, uh, but if you have flown, or even if you haven't flown, you, you maybe have heard about these people who are at the airport. They, they're part of the TSA, the Transportation Safety Authority. And these people are in charge. I mean, you can't get on the plane unless they say you can get on the plane. And so if they say, take your shoes off, you take your shoes off. If they say, step over here, you step over here. If, if they say, take off your belt, you take off your belt. If they say, walk through the machine and pretend like you're, you know, an Eskimo or whatever, just, then you do that. They speak with the authority of the U.S. government. Paul says, I speak on the authority of God Almighty. And so you should listen to me. And finally, he, thirdly, he was set apart for, and I inserted the word proclaiming the gospel because the sent one comes with a message. So he's proclaiming the gospel of God. I love it. It's God's good news. That's the gospel. It's God good, God's good news. That, and, and this is the good news that, that he would send a ruler and a rescuer for his people from their struggles. And Paul's message is that ruler and rescuer has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. That's why he is the Messiah, Jesus. And he has been buried and raised from the dead so that all who would put their faith and their trust in him, in his death and resurrection as the basis for their own salvation would be rescued. That's him. They'd forgiven and given new life. He was proclaiming this primarily to the, the Gentiles, the, 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 the non-Jewish people. And that's what he says in Romans 5, but he also says it in uh, other places. Particularly, we see it in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, because that's what he was called to do. And in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. So let's look at Acts 9, 15. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is chosen. Now, this is God speaking to Ananias, who's going to go to Paul. He's an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Now, they're first. Now, it's not the only ones he bore the uh, message to, but primarily to the Gentiles. And then we, we see it in, in Romans chapter 15, verse, verse 16, uh, the same, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God so that my offering of the, uh, of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to the Gentiles. So we see, first of all, why we should accept and adhere to the gospel is based upon our respect for the servant. Uh, Christ's servant. Secondly, we recognize Christ's stake in the gospel. And there's three ways that the centrality of Christ, I said it's a Christ-centered gospel. Three ways that this is emphasized. First of all, the gospel of Christ is promised by the prophets. Notice the text says he promised beforehand, which he, who? God. It's the gospel of God whom he promised beforehand. These are predictions that are grounded in God's character. You know, one of my pet peeves is I, 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 if I'm watching, I like uh, war shows, okay? Sometimes I watch war documentaries and war shows. And 
there's a guy and there's a gal. And the guy and the gal have to say goodbye. And the guy says to the gal, I'm coming back, I promise. And I go, not. You can't promise that. Oh, I promise you I'll be back. No, you don't. Because it takes a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God to make a reliable promise beforehand. Before anything else is known. He knows all the contingencies, all the possibilities, and he makes the promise, and we can, put, uh, we can take that one to the bank. God promised the gospel, and he says, through the prophets... In the Holy Scriptures. Well, where in the Holy Scriptures did he make this promise of the gospel? Well, a lot of places. And I have a bunch of them written down in my notes. Not here, but in my notes, which I edited so that you wouldn't, you know, we could go. But we just got done studying 1 Samuel. So you can write this down. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, in Hannah's big thing, she's, she's talking about this Horn, this strength coming to the king, the exalted Lord's, the exalting of the Lord's anointed one, the horn of salvation. Which, interestingly enough, but not accidentally, Zechariah says was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. <laughs> He's the horn of salvation. So if you take 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you look at, at verse 1, and you look at verse 10, and then you compare it with Luke chapter 1, verses 69 through 71, you see that, wow, Zechariah says that this person, Jesus, is the fulfillment of Hannah's prayer, or Hannah's prayer, the one mentioned in Hannah's prayer. And the fulfillment punctuates God, the gospel's trustworthiness. And so there are many other passages that have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus, but we're not going to talk about those all. But it's promised beforehand in the prophets, and we see that it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Secondly, the gospel of Christ is presented in the Son. The gospel of God, it says, concerns His Son. Whose Son? God's Son. The Divine Son. The gospel concerns the Divine Son. Okay, um, Now, this I want to say. These actions that are mentioned here in verses 3 and 4 don't make him the divine son. They prove or validate the fact that he is the divine son. Because the son of God has always been the son of God. He's been the son of God from before time began. So he didn't just become the son of God because he came in the flesh. And because he rose from the dead. No, that's the manifestation of the Son in the person of Jesus. I didn't become my father's son because I look like my father. I look like my father because I'm his son. And so we see in these things that, he, that Jesus, his son, this Christ Jesus was a descendant of David according to the flesh, it says. And so when it uses that phraseology, according to the flesh, it just means a human being with a human nature. And so the Son became a human being. He was the Son, always become, been the Son, and He became a human being in the flesh. A descendant of David, which is very interesting. 
that he uses this because he, he says this the lineage of Jesus is connected to David. And we can look in all sorts of uh, texts, beginning at Matthew chapter 1, which we studied the Gospel of Matthew, right? Matthew 1 and verse 16 and Luke chapter 1 verse 27, he, it mentions Joseph and then Jesus as a descendant of David. So Jesus is a descendant of David, but guess what? He's a descendant of David through Joseph in those texts, but he's not biologically related to Joseph. And so Joseph adopted him, and he gained the legal claim to the throne through Joseph, who was a descendant of David, because he was adopted, Jesus was adopted by him. He gained his natural or biological claim to the throne as a descendant of David through his mother, Mary which that is in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 31, okay? And so the God's gospel concerns his son, Jesus, who was born of human flesh and possessed this human nature. That's not it. Secondly, he says, who was the son who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's the distinction. Uh, the ESV and the NASB, I'm following the NASB order because the, the, the ESV literally translates it, or I'm following the NASB order, I'm just saying, because I think it correctly connects the declaration of Jesus' divine sonship, which is already a fact, with the absolute conclusive evidence in his resurrection. So the NASB reads this way, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The ESV puts it, according to the spirit of holiness, and then by the resurrection of the dead. So maybe you don't really care about that, unless you have an ESV and you read, you're reading it differently than me. But it says in the New American Standard, who was declared the Son of God with power, and he was declared to be the Son of God with power, how? By the resurrection of the dead, through the work of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of holiness, which I take to be the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit was there when he was born. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was conceived, right? Through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, he did his miracles. Through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, he raised from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. And so he was confirmed to be the Son of God in power by the work of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit was there. And the convincing proof of his deity and the veracity of Christianity lies with the resurrection from the dead. He is the divine son of God. He rose from the dead. Some of you know the, uh, this person, Michael Phelps. Uh, he's the most uh, decorated uh, uh, U.S. Olympian or Olympian period. Uh, I don't know how many gold medals he has, but he has uh, scads of gold medals, scads of other medals. But the, the, the point I want to make is he was powerfully proven to be the greatest by his numerous winning performances. He actually was the greatest before he ever performed, but you didn't know that until he actually performed. Jesus Christ was the Son of God before he ever rose from the dead, but when he rose from the dead, he confirmed that he really was the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. And thirdly, the gospel of Christ is proclaimed in the world or to the nations. In verse 5, it says, through whom... Uh, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Okay, so Jesus Christ our Lord is the one, um, is the one through whom uh, 
Oh, I, I'm sorry. I got to go back because I, I skipped the last phrase of verse 4. According, he says, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is, what is that for? Therefore, The resurrection proves beyond doubt that the divine Son of Man is Jesus. The Son of God is Jesus. And His name means what? Jehovah saves. Jesus. The man Jesus saves. Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one promised in the Old Testament. And He is Jesus Christ, anointed one, our Lord, King, ruler, to whom we are enslaved, if we're his children, that we wholeheartedly submit to. If he's the king, if he's our master, then we do what he says, not in some things, but in everything. And this is the problem that we have as, as, as believers, right? Because we like to hedge our bets. So we think, well, I'm going to accept him, he's going to be my Lord, but uh, you know, when he asks me to do something with my finances, that's, that's off limits. My thought life, that's mine, we say. Um, how I treat other people, God, I mean, really, I, I've got that. That's our fallen nature, wanting to own. No, he's our Lord. And you know, I've heard the saying, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so we have to ask ourselves as believers, what area of my life is my thought life, is what I see, I read, I hear, I say, I do, What part of it is not surrendered to Christ? There's not one square inch of all of life over which he does not say, mine. (laughs) The question is, are we yielded to him? Okay, now, thirdly, the gospel of Christ is proclaimed to the world. This Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the one through whom we Interesting that Paul uses the word we there. We have received two wonderful provisions of the gospel. Uh, Now, I believe that Paul is thinking first and foremost of his own experience. And he mentions God's grace in respect to his own salvation and his own apostleship. All right? Selection as an apostle. But I do believe that through the use of the word we, there is an extension of those benefits those privileges to all believers the grace so he speaks of the grace of God and and then some in some sense there's this an apostleship thing so grace what is grace we, we hope you should have all been in the first meeting because first service because we sang about the the, the wonderful grace of Jesus and uh, you know his, his marvelous grace it is this it's favor extended that is the opposite of what is deserved It's favor extended that's the opposite of what is deserved. All right? What do we deserve? Well, uh, I want you to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 24. In Romans chapter 3, I'm supposed to read it, okay? Romans 3, just turn the page or flip your finger there on your phone. Romans 3, 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's getting what you don't deserve. We all deserve what? Because of our sin. We deserve wrath. And that's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6 and 7. And many of you, you know that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. He has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. All of us like sheep have gone astray. 
well, uh, we went to the fair, the, the Iowa State Fair. Interesting, people say, I went to the fair. Okay. Uh, like, like the Iowa State Fair is the only fair uh, in the world. Well, I, we went to the fair. We went to the Iowa State Fair, and we saw the red trouser people. I don't know if you've ever seen the red trouser troupe. It's two guys uh, dressed in red trousers. And they, they do juggling and they, they do acrobatic stuff and, and they're kind of funny. And it's actually a clean show. You know, they don't use profanity. At least I didn't, maybe they did. I, I didn't hear them. I don't remember it. Anyhow, it's a pretty decent show. You take your kids. It's a lot of fun. Uh, 12, 2, and 4 uh, every day on the state fair last year. So we went to the, the Red Troop, and they're doing this juggling act, and I mean, they're doing bizarre stuff. I mean, they're just running and jumping, and one guy's standing on his head on the other guy's head, and, uh, you know, they climbed a 24-foot ladder and uh, had four people on ropes holding it, and then they did these handstands and went straight out. It was crazy. But they messed up one time. You know, they're, they're juggling all this stuff back and forth, back and forth, and they, one guy dropped one, and then the guy says, don't look at him, <laughs> you know. That's us. We mess up. And because we mess up, because, yeah, I had this thought of, you know, really harming somebody, because I had this lustful thought, because I was greedy, because I was jealous, because I refused to forgive, because I have an attitude or an action that's contrary to God's word, I deserve his wrath. And that's not a popular uh, concept in today's parlance. But here's the, good, the, the, the bad news, but, but he has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Who? Who's the him in Isaiah 53, verse 7? Well, amazingly, it's Jesus. Write down Acts 8.35. Because on, the, uh, on the, the Ethiopian eunuch was told by Philip that Jesus, it says from this scripture onward, he proclaimed Jesus to him. This him upon whom all the iniquity has fallen is Jesus. So the good news is that the sinless Jesus took upon himself the judgment that we deserve enabling us to become righteous and escape God's wrath. Now, it's like, yeah, you say that every Sunday. Well, yep, and I'm going to be saying it every Sunday because Paul said it on every page almost in this book. And it is the glorious good news. It is that news which is the solution to the world's problems. It provides us with pardon and peace and purpose and power to live and a possession of eternal life. Doesn't get better than that. And so we proclaim it because it is God's gospel. It is God's gospel. Paul said it himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin. Now, Jesus didn't actually become sin. He bore our sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Therefore, escape the wrath of God. But it's not just enough to know it in our head. We must accept it in our heart. We're not saved by our good efforts. You know, coming to church, being baptized, catechized, confirmed. You know, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Do all the things for Jesus and I'm going to get my way into heaven. No. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works. So nobody can boast about it. I can't boast if I'm in the kingdom. I can only boast in Christ who graciously brought me into the kingdom. And that's what Paul says is the essence of the gospel. It's centered in this person of Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, what did the Philippian jailer said to Paul, he says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. Have you believed? In the Lord Jesus Christ. In his death, his burial, his resurrection, as the payment for your sin so that you are no longer subject to the wrath of God. If you have, God's gospel is, 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 is the blessed benefit that you have enjoyed. And if you haven't, I just invite you to do that. Paul was saved by God's grace and abundantly graced through his apostleship. He says, we have received grace and apostleship, which is a unique office that he he had specifically chosen by God and sent out by Christ to share the, the, the message, to, to bring about, it says in the text, verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, I tell you what, I got, I'm, I'm reading all these commentaries and everybody's got a different idea, but what does that mean, the obedience of faith? Well, I'm just going to tell you what I think, and then you can go and read 15 commentaries and get your own idea of what you think. I think the text, I think what Paul is saying, it's the, the, to bring about the obedience to God and his word which springs from true faith in Christ. So obedience of faith is the proof that I have faith. If I'm obedient, I, I, I evidence that I'm faithful, that I, I believe. So here's the deal. The proof of faith is the practice of obedience. The proof of true faith is the practice of of obedience. Those who believe behave. If they don't behave, they don't believe. If I profess Christ, but I don't practice Christ, I don't know Christ. John said it. If we say that we come to know him, the one who says he's come to know him and does not uh, uh, do what he says is a liar, and the truth is not in him. First John chapter two, verse three, okay, or first four. I'm sorry. Some of you know the song, written by a former slave trader. This guy was a former slave trader, and his faith produced the fruit of obedience that led to a life that was transformed. And he wrote the words John Newton did: "Amazing grace." How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Belief changed his behavior. And he was to do this among the Gentiles. Now this word can be translated nations. Uh, but Paul did actually go to the Gentiles. But he didn't just preach to the Gentiles. It was uh, it was among the Gentiles primarily that he carried the message, but not exclusively that he carried the message. So he went to the Gentiles, particularly in Rome, and that's the, the bulk of the people who were in that church, probably, that, the believers there. But it wasn't exclusively to them. 
I mean, we have other passages, and I could give you the list of the passages, but Paul preached to the Gentiles as well. In fact, if you remember Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he was to preach to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to other people, right? So he preached predominantly to the Gentiles, but he, he proclaimed Christ in order to see people embrace Christianity and to exemplify Christianity. And he, he was a little bit non-discriminatory, but he went focused on the Gentiles people who were non-Jews. And so while we are not, and I want to emphasize, we are not apostles in the sense that Paul was an apostle. We are, if we are children of God, sent. In John 20, 21, so send I you, Jesus says. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Not just given to the apostles. This is a a command that's to be carried out by all of the disciples. We are sent ones to to bring the, the truth of the gospel. You know, we are recipients of God's grace, saving grace. We're recipients of uh, God's gracious sending. We're to be sent out to carry the gospel to the nations. The love of Christ controls us. Having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, but he goes on to say, Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry, what's that? We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were begging you on, uh, we were begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We as believers, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are ambassadors. We're to carry the message. So we are, in that sense, like that. By His grace and for His glory. Uh, And I don't just throw that in there, because if you look at the end of verse 5 all the gentiles for his name's sake for christ's sake we do this for his gain and for his glory by his grace for his glory we preach christ crucified and risen again because it's the only solution to the world's dysfunction and the damnation of our souls And unlike other religious systems, we do not want people to suffer in hell. We want them to be rescued. And so I don't want to take them out. I want to tell them about Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 30. But it's due to him that you are in Christ Jesus. Stop. It's due to him, not us. It's God's work that you are in Christ Jesus. Not my work, God's work that you're in Christ Jesus. Yes, we respond to God's work in us, but it is who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let us, let the one who boasts, boast in what a great person he is. How wonderful of a servant of Jesus he is. How great things he's done. No, in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 says this. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. If we are in Christ, he gets the credit. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I may not be put to shame, but with all power, Christ may be glorified 
in me, my life and in my death. To God be the glory, great things he has done. With his blood he has saved me. My tribute, Andre Crouch says, if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. To Calvary. This is Paul. This is a message. This is the God-centered gospel. This is the gospel of God, that it comes through a person, Jesus. God, his son, who was incarnated into flesh so that he could be our perfect substitute, who was divine in that he had rose from the dead, proving he had power over sin and death. That's the gospel. And finally, we rejoice with Christ's saints in the gospel. Verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus. Uh, You are among these Gentiles whom, he's saying, verse 5, and tying with verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus. Okay, The Roman believers, uh, mostly Gentiles, were among the Gentile nations with whom the gospel was going and Paul was predominantly speaking that it was being shared and among whom Paul sought to bring this conduct consistent with their confession. Now, they have been called to belong to Jesus. Okay, that's, they had, that's what the ESV says. You have been called to belong to Jesus and I think that's, a, that's an accurate translation of it. You're the call to Jesus, called to belong, not called in some general sense. This is not a Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden, but there's an effectual calling that they, he knew they would be the ones responding to the gospel, okay? This is Romans, we'll get there, Romans 11, uh, uh, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that are the called according to his purpose, okay? Now, verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, All who are in Rome. It says, to all who are in Rome, he articulates the, the privileges of belonging to Jesus. And the first one that he articulates is beloved of God. Okay, So the beloved of God. Now, what do you mean? Okay, you say, okay, you're beloved of God. It stresses when he says that. He's, he's stressing this idea of the preciousness and the prize of God's unconditional love towards all believers, uh, beginning in Rome. Okay, it's not just, not just the Roman believers, the beloved of God. Every child of God is the beloved of God. They're, they're preciousness and, and the prize of God's unconditional love. We see that in John, First uh, John 3, 1. Oh, how great the love of God that we should be called, what? Sons of God. That you could be called a son, a child of God. How great is, is that? That's what he says. Beloved is a powerful and perpetual privilege. And it's not contingent upon our status. It's not contingent upon our spiritual maturity. It's not contingent upon the things we do for Jesus. It is true of every child of God. You're beloved of God. Interestingly enough, it's, uh, it's not or our gift. God's love infiltrates our heart. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. It infiltrated our heart uh, through the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5, 5. And as a result of the love of God demonstrated through the Son, 
God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And as a result of God's love demonstrated in Christ's sacrifice, and it is a love from which we will never be separated. So it's infiltrated through the Spirit of God, mediated by the Spirit through the Son of God who demonstrated His love toward us and why we're at sinners Christ died for us. And it can never, we can never be separated from this love. That's Romans chapter 8. You say, oh, I don't know, that doesn't mean much to me. Well, it should. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. My grandpa used to say, he says, you're my favorite grandson. I was his only grandson. So it kind of diminishes the compliment, right? There's no diminishing the fact that we are his beloved children. We're beloved of God. And then he he designates, uh, he says, called, and I I think the NASB is better here. It says called saints, not, not, not called to be saints. They already were saints. So they didn't been called to be saints. They're they're called saints. Literally holy ones. If you're a child of God, you're a holy one. You think, that's kind of scary. I don't really feel very holy. Well, that's why we are called to the obedience of faith. So that our profession matches more up with our practice. But he says, you are holy ones. Who've been graciously brought into this relationship with God. The Almighty. Who now sees us as holy. And set apart. That's what it literally means. Set apart to God. And that's what he called us to be. We are set apart. And then he closes this whole thing by a powerful prayer for the the holy ones to know grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would know the unmerited favor of God and the unshakable confidence that's derived from God that comes from God. Grace is the gift, the opposite of what we deserve. It's in our salvation, but it's also in the simple things. You know, we greet each other. It's interesting. Say, how are you doing? Good. Well, why are you good? Because of God's grace. Not because of you. Because you don't deserve to be good. I don't deserve to be good. But I'm good by God's grace. And so I'm, I'm good by the grace of God in salvation. I'm good by the grace of God in the stuff of life and then peace and I've that's interesting this idea of peace I was yeah it's been kind of coming peace is the absence of conflict and the absence of conflict grace and peace to you peace is absence of conflict first of all with God if you're a child of God you're no longer at enmity with God he's not longer angry at you Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, it says in Rome, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. But it's also the, 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 the tranquility that comes from resting in God in the midst of conflict. So it's the absence of conflict, but it's also tranquility in the midst of conflict because of the power of the Spirit of God working within us. In uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 1, um, Paul says the The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's the grace of God is the person of Jesus who brings us salvation. And the peace is the comfort of God. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And you think, wow, how can I do that? In the midst of all of this stuff that's been going on, swirling around us, it's been an anchor to our souls to 
Look to John chapter 11, or 14, verse 27, and, and trust the peace of God that would rest in our hearts. Because life has been chaotic. And we can rest in that through the person and work of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, this text provides us confidence in the truthfulness and the treasure of God's gospel. It is rich for us. It challenges this commitment to show faith consistent with our profession. It causes us to celebrate because we're beloved, holy saints of God. And if you don't know Christ, it's a challenge. This is God's gospel. You want help with the dysfunction of the world? You want deliverance from condemnation? Jesus is the only answer. And when we take bread and juice, what we do is we remember the, 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 the gospel of God, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross so that we could be his beloved children. It's symbolized in the bread and the cup are reminders of the gospel. We deserve wrath. We can know life. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take uh, these truths from uh, the Christ-centered gospel in Romans 1 and drive them home to each and every heart. I pray, dear Lord, that the believers in the Lord Jesus would be more confident that our salvation is in a trustworthy gospel, prophesied and promised long ago, fulfilled in the person of Jesus, who rose from the dead, powerfully demonstrating that he is the Son of God. I pray that we might be those who are committed to the obedience of faith, that our faith would be evident through our obedience to you. And I ask that you would work in our hearts to celebrate that we are your children. I ask that you would work in the life of everyone who is not yet fully surrendered to you that they would turn from their sinful self-directed way and realize they're bucking you and they would repent of their sin and trust you and I ask now Lord that those of us who know you as Lord and Savior would be able to take these elements after we examine our hearts search our souls confess our sin get right with you and rejoice in what you've done for us we pray in Christ's name Amen This is all